Hello. Hello. Yeah, yeah, I can hear you talking. So, are we are we going to record? Yes, why not? That's what we're here for. It's been a while, hasn't it? It has, yeah. Yeah, it has. Too long. <laughs> right, let's see if that actually recorded. The following podcast will contain spoilers and explicit language. And welcome to Sunday Afternoon Cinema. Although, once again, we're not recording it on a Sunday. No, it's a Friday. Which? And it's not afternoon either. It's no, it's evening. It's quite late evening. So, in fact, we're going against entirely what the podcast is. But, hey, we've come this far, folks. Well, we have. And, you know, it's been a while. So, if you are actually listening to this, thank you for coming back to us. And uh, may I say, Happy New Year. But, uh, oh. I had it in my head before. I'm not going to indulge your bullshit. I'm uh, No, it's not Chinese New Year just yet. But, but it's, it's, it's still it's, it's, Happy it's, New Year in Chinese. It's Kongye Fa Shui. Yeah, and I'll have to say it. And it's not actually Happy New Year. Do you, know, do you know what the literal translation of, of Kongye Fa Shui is? Go on. Live long and prosper. You trekkie. It is, honestly. It is, <laughs> honestly. No, it's not because I'm a trekkie. It's because, you know, I know Chinese. So I was born there, you know. In that entire year and a half that I lived in Hong Kong, I, I, developed, did, I, I developed the entire Chinese didn't language. I you were born in China. I can say ongoi, hongoi fashoi, and why, which means hello. So you have quite, a, quite an extensive yeah, knowledge I, of I do, the I do. And, and this t-shirt itself says, who are you, in Korean. I think it's Korean. That's a completely different language. Well, yeah. Yeah, but do you know how many languages there are in Chinese? I mean, seriously, if you actually look into how many languages they have, yeah, it's they, insane. Yeah, I mean, they have, they have dozens and dozens and dozens yeah. of like, local dialects, it's and like, they're if all you, if, if you major go, languages. If you go from one place to another, it's like, what are you talking about? I mean, yeah, it's at like least got, with us, we can go to Italy and speak in French. Exactly. It's, it, at least, in our case, we can go to France and say, TWO! THAT! Three! And they'll know what we're talking about, you know. But yeah, and they'll say we speak English. Points and shouts. Yeah, it works. Yeah. Honestly, it works. Rule Britannia in the EU. The it's the international language of get the fuck out. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, listen, anyway. folks, we are here to talk this evening. <laughs> Strangely enough, considering the name of the podcast, we're here to talk the film. And yes, we are. This evening, we're talking about the last so far of the Viewers Universe. Well, we're finishing off the Viewers Universe, aren't we? Yeah. Um, uh, with uh, with clerks too, in 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 the way that Kevin wanted it to be, we're effectively going back to the beginning, as it were. We're going back yeah. to the well, as the documentary is called. Yeah, why not go back one more time? Well, the and, war of you the, know, with the war of dimension returns does not apply to this film. Well, it's an interesting thing, and we will come on to that in a bit because I do specifically want to talk, to, you know, about it as a sequel. So I think that's interesting to cover. Um, so yeah, as, so Clerks 2. Uh, Clerks 2 is potential, is really the beginning of the end in terms of Kevin Smith's self-created universe. When Clerks started back in 1994, it started something special in my opinion. Yeah, it, it was, if you will, the, the snowball effect, it grew and it grew, grew, um, until it became its own kind of 
its own self-contained universe, and not just in its own in its own universe. I mean, I think it started a different way of people seeing um, filmmaking in general. But, and cinema. Yeah, and, and yeah, and indeed cinema, where you don't have to have multiple locations, where you don't have to have multiple styles. You know, um, you you can have basic scripts, but more importantly, you can have a basic budget, and you can still get away with what you're wanting to achieve. Now, admittedly, that was simply as a matter of course because he couldn't do it any other way. But as well as that, he could have the characters he wanted, and God knows he did have the characters he wanted. There were no kind of. No, no, let's give it up to the studio. The studio wants this demand, so we'll give. He was able to avoid all that just by making his own movie, self financing it, and getting his own way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we had clerks made, and then we went back one day to um, to mold, uh, to make more rats. Though it was never clear at that point that that was the case. It, you know, you you only knew that Mallrats was a day behind because you were told that. There was nothing in the film that indicated what the timeline necessarily yeah. was. It wasn't like in Back to the Future where it was all structured. I, I don't think... I think really you can pretty much ignore the timeline stuff and just enjoy each separate film as its own entity. You don't have to necessarily have seen clips to want to watch Mallrats or yeah. have seen Mallrats or want to watch... Chasing Amy or Dogma or any of the other films in the Youth Universe. Indeed, while they're all yeah. attached, they're all connected to each other. They're all their own separate entities. They which are their own. Something the, I love about them. They're, they're, because, they're, they're very only different films in their own rights. Yeah, um, and with the exception of Clerks too, none of them works in any way as a sequel or a prequel to any of the others. Indeed, I mean it's not like recently um, with The Darkest Hour. You know, I still I'm not sure if that's a prequel or a sequel to Churchill because I've not seen it. So I, I'm not it's sure. It's neither in essence. It's, oh right. Um, so I thought it was a sequel. Although it's about Churchill. Because it came afterwards. So surely the Darkest Hour is a sequel to Churchill because Churchill came first. Or is it the whole Star Wars thing where you know? It's, I don't think that it's uh, in any way connected because they've oh, got different shit. actors completely. Oh okay, fair and enough. And directors. Right. <laughs> well, that's just that franchise ruined for me, really, isn't it? I'm not going to bother with it now. It's, it's also not released, by the way, I should say, to Churchill, the Hollywood years. I've not even seen that. Have you not? No. You need to watch it. We need, to, rev- we need to review that at some, point, at some point. Churchill, the Hollywood years with Christian Slater as Winston Churchill. Oh, dear God, really? And, and Nev Campbell. As the, the man who got his schlong out in Wild Things. Nev Campbell. As Churchill. The, Nev Campbell as the Queen. <laughs> <laughs> oh good god that sounds so bad I think I've got to watch it it's it's, it's not a documentary no shit any. Sherlock <laughs> no shit so anyway anyway so we then moved away from Clerks we then moved away from the Dante and Randall Randall rather characters in their true incarnations we kind of saw them briefly in James and Pop Strike Back um Especially with the the monkey scenes. Um, well, yeah, but you know they weren't true. I mean, really, the only time we saw them for any real extended period of time was Jane and Silent Bob at the very beginning. Yeah, and even then, you know, and, and we'll come back to that in a minute. But even then, it wasn't really that important. Um, you know, th- there was a gap of six years between Clerks and Jane's Trial at Bob Strike Back, and a lot of people probably had forgotten about them. Shit, that means that means Jane's Silent Bob Strike Back is now officially an adult. 
It's 18 years old. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. I mean, and to be honest with you, I think people could be forgiven that, and, you know, they, they could be forgiven for have forgotten about the fact that in the plot of Strike Back, that Dante and Randall were even in there. Because, because it wasn't their film. Because because they're only really there to kind of propel the, the plot along to the, from Red Bank, New Jersey, to getting the guys to Hollywood. That's the only purpose. Yeah, they to serve. get them arrested for no. To, which, yeah. to be fair, does play into the into the line of clerks too. Yeah. Because you then see at the side of clerks too them saying we've been we've been in prison, so it kind of works in the, So it's, it's all a bit it's all a bit merged, but it does work. But anyway, fast forward a few years and a sequel which many thought would never come out or was even needed, and we have clerks too, and so it begins all over again. And it starts with Clerks in the sense of in the quick stop and will end with Clerks back in the quick stop all over again. Yeah. Um, I love the fact, by the way, this film started ex- with exactly the same opening shot in exactly the same style as the original Clerks. Black and white. Well, Controversial it's not. For so- it's not. It's, it's desaturated colour. It's monochrome. It's monochrome. But... I but I don't think they would have let them make it in black and white. I don't think he wanted to make it in black and white anyway. I think mm. I think he realised this was a completely entirely new entity. It was the next stage of Clerks, the next not generation but incarnation. No, I can see. What you, no, I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. Um, so rather like um, Clerks, the story is almost a ba- is almost a back element in a way. There is much more of a story in Clerks 2, to be fair. Um, and there is, but for the most part, the characters being who they are and who we love to begin with is kind of the point to begin with. I, I, the, the film itself has not got much of a storyline. It's, it's a basic plot. It's a basic love story with a lot of far jokes thrown in. Yeah. Different far jokes, which is what we've come to expect with Kevin Smith. Mm-hmm. Um, but for, for that, it's... That, for that reason alone, it works. It's a simple story. It doesn't need to be anything more than it sets out to be. Yeah. Um, and for that reason alone, it just it works as a, as a movie because you've got characters you can engage with, whether they pop up for a minute or whether they're there throughout the entirety of the movie. Every character is engaging. Every character has something about them. That even if you don't necessarily like it, you can at least relate to it. Um, yeah. I mean, I look at the oh, what's his name, the, the kind of the young kid in the in movies. Oh, El- like, just uh, Elias. 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 I think we've all worked with an Elias at some point. Somebody who is that sweet and innocent, <laughs> that they're just begging out to be corrupted. Yeah. Um. And God knows I've done my fair share of corruption over the years, um, and we, you know, we all we all know someone that can relate to a Dante or a Randall or a Jay or a Simon Bob or any of the other characters in this movie. We've all come across the former school friend, or I say I use that term loosely, by the way, former schoolmate, yeah, who, an acquaintance that we all yeah, knew. who was always a bit of a dick. And we want to get our own back. We want to put flies and piss in their drink. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
opening up with Quickstop on Fire, where it's initially assumed by um, by Randall that it was terrorists that set on fire, um, but then he remembers he left the coffee pot on, to which is quite inconvenient because he says, "Well, you know, where am I going to go if I want to fuck chicks?" And I love that that's his, you know, his, his initial reaction. Voice. You know, it doesn't it doesn't matter really. I wonder if he fucks the chicks in the same bathroom that the chick fucking the dead guy. Well, there was only the one bathroom, so I can only assume so. It must be. But saying that, there could be a back room, like a staff room. Possibly, possibly. Could take them in there. But then uh, it begs the question as well: What's wrong with the RST quick stuff? Yeah, video stuff. Stop that. It looked a lot cleaner, didn't it? It did. Mind you, they don't take the bathrooms. Yeah, yeah. It didn't look that big though, to be fair, by comparison. Yeah, uh, maybe that's it. Maybe maybe more space in the quick stuff than the RST. I mean, when you you know just just to focus on that for a second, when you look at RST, it didn't it didn't look like it had a massive amount of videos for rental. So I'm amazed it ever kept in business. By, by this point, I think they might have saved a lot of space by upgrading to DVDs or VHS. But then again, I think that was the point because I think the whole thing of RST video was it was never meant to be a blockbuster. It was that video shop that we all that we all know the kids in case you're wondering blockbuster (laughs) was a video rental store and when christopher and i were young men uh, it was a place you could go to and rent or even purchase uh vhs video cassettes uh to watch at your own at your own pleasure but do you remember what else you could rent from there video games no 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 no. more basic than that uh go on you could rent vcrs it was ludicrously ludicrously expensive, but you could rent VCRs. Now, I don't remember renting VCRs. Do you remember? Oh, I don't. It was well D- before my time, but I, I know you could. I remember them renting out DVD players when they were the new technology. Yeah. And we are going back probably 20 years now. Oh, easily, yeah. Um, and it, yeah, as you say, it was ridiculously expensive. Even to rent the discs, it was like three times the normal. Yeah, but do you remember how much it used to cost to buy a DVD or a video in HMV or Virgin Megastores or whatever? I mean, it used to be a 57 pounds, 99 pence per disc. I don't ever remember being that expensive. I'm just guessing. Yeah. I mean, I, you're rubbish at guessing. I mean, <laughs> I, I remember buying videos, video cassettes for about 15 quid a pop. Yeah, easily. I mean, bra- but that wasn't considered expensive. It, brand new, you could. I mean, depending on what video cassettes you were you were talking about, you could get some decent offers in the likes of HMV, Blockbuster, even to an extent Woolworths. Because Woolworths sure, and another shop that's gone the way of the dodo. Well, gents. yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm sure the first video that I ever bought that was 18 rated that I bought myself was American Beauty, and I'm sure that set me back about 15 quid. I know full well the first ever VHS I ever bought that was 18 rated and I was nowhere near 18 well none of us were was uh, was Reservoir Dogs which Good we've call. covered on a previous podcast we have um, yeah I was sent by my dad to buy and um, rocked up with a £20 note didn't get much change out of a £20 note but it, bear in mind it was shortly after it had been cleared for home release because mm. before that it had been banned because people swore blind that the ear cutting oh, scene of course, yes. actually happened which of course it doesn't it's all it's all in your head it's mm. shadows but 
you know, people swore by and this was back in the day when I think Mary Whitehouse was still alive. Probably. Probably. But but this isn't Clerks 2. This not. isn't Clerks 2. Uh, where were we up to? Oh yes. So oh, anyway. So anyway. Yeah. Um so anyway, move on and somehow Dante and Randall have managed to get jobs in movies, which is basically a piss take of McDonald's. I think it's, it's probably a piss take of every fast food joint. Yeah, ever. but mainly McDonald's. Mainly McDonald's. You yeah. could tell it was basically a, a slap in the face of McDonald's. Oh, it's the egg of the movie and we'll come up with it. Exactly, yeah. And it confuses me and amuses me how anyone hired them to begin with. I mean, we don't know exactly how long they've been working at movies as such. But to be fair, the pair between them have no real job experience. It seems, it seems they've been there quite a while by this point. Yeah. Certainly long enough for a history to have developed between not only the, the staff... At but the manager. Well, but the, the temporary manager, manager. And the staff and the shop as well, if you think about it. There are some stories there, including um, one about having sex on the grill. Yeah, well, yeah, but it's never... You know, I, I don't fully understand how you know because Dante isn't technically a manager but I think he's seen as a fairly high up person and to be fair Dante has little more experience than Randall did I mean in in, in the quick stop okay so he opened up the job he opened up the shop every now and again and he did um stock take but really he didn't have much of an experience or a career as such um you know especially not one that would see him Making it into the world of the of the food service industry, you know what I mean. Just got enough experience to warrant him being like the kind of go to guy without being a manager per se. Mm. I think because he's the only one there who appropriates the act of looking. Like he's mature enough. He's mature enough. He's mature enough. Allegedly, they might put a put. They might put a bit of trust in him. Allegedly, mature enough. Yeah. Yeah. Um, He's he's seen as the I think out of the two of them and out of the entire staff apart from the manager played by Rosario Dawson, mm-hmm. I think he's seen as the most mature, uh, if you will, the best of a bad bunch. Yeah, who who could we get? Okay, Dante's available, um, but again, right. but then again, he's not the manager. He is a grunt, just like Randall. Once again, back at the bottom of the pile. The only difference is they're older and fatter. Nothing much has changed, and if anything, Randall appears to have gotten worse. Yes, um, several times throughout the movie, we're treated to Randall's various views, diatribes on several different subjects, including the delightful topic on whether or not you should go ask to mouth. Well, well, there is that, but also one, and I, I don't know. I don't know the background of this phrase, or if it is indeed, or if it is even indeed, a racial slur. And I don't want to be racist here. But You're talking about the PM phrase, aren't yes, you? Yes, I've yeah. never heard of it that before. Is, this film. It is very much a racist phrase. Then I'm glad I didn't say it. Um, which is why I didn't say it. Um, it is a racist phrase. But, but it's such a brilliant scene. He didn't believe it was a racist phrase, and that's the beauty of it: is that you can't. You can't have phrases that are used in everyday life that everyone else sees as horribly racist. And because you've <laughs> never had that context... And again, I don't want to say it, but there's just this wonderful line where he refers to a broken bottle as something. And it's just, 
You know, now that I think about it, maybe she was a little bit racist. A little bit racist! It was, yeah, it was a... It's a horrible, but knife. it's brilliant. It was a, it was a <clears throat> yeah. knife. Yeah. Um, and it is... It's, it's that slowly... Oh, wait. The slow dawn and realisation that, oh, shit, I've been horribly racist without even intending to be. But I don't think the whole thing was meant to be a racist slant. That's the thing. It wasn't meant... It was meant to be a thing. It was kind of a... This is how phrases can be contextualised as... In one yeah, way, I, I don't think it was Kevin Smith being racist at all, just for the record. Not that it was ever implied that he was racist. I mean, this isn't... Let's let's get this right. This is in no way a Quentin Tarantino, you know, fuck, 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 fuck. Indeed, um, yeah. Uh, it's not, you know, one of those famous Samuel L. Jackson speeches from one of his movies, which contains multiple use of... Yeah, the M word. Um, just purely for the sake of it, it seems at times. Mm. This is pointing out, you know, there are these phrases that have entered into some people's lexicons, not everyone's, but some people's. And depending on your view, depending on how you've been raised this year, and I think can, depending on how you've been brought up as well, yeah, and indeed what part of the country you're from. Exactly, and it can, in one light, it can be viewed as extremely racist. But if you've never had that experience of a phrase, then it's, you're going to see it as, I'm not racist. Mm. I know people, for instance, who, when when they're talking about going for a Chinese Chinese meal, um, and they've never grown up around Chinese people, it's just a phrase they've used, oh, let's go for a, a chinky. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't consider that racist. Some people would. Um, it's exactly the same as that. It's depending on... Yeah, you... I mean, it's that whole thing of... And I don't want to make this... You know, I don't want to go about on the spout too much because I don't understand it enough. But it's that whole thing of... If you're not directing it directly at a group of people or one person, is not necessarily racist? No, I don't think it is. I, I, I don't know. It is, but but, think, but again, it's a it difficult. Comes, it comes down to in, down to the context that you it, it, it is, and the difficulty is, is that there's no way that you or I, however many people we know of different ethnicities, there is no way that we can ever know what it truly feels like to be in that position <laughs> and to have that word said. I mean, have you seen that episode of South Park where Randy is on the wheel of fortune, and? At least you've not seen this, I and don't basically, think I have. basically, okay. So I won't go on about this too much longer. But basically, goes on Wheel of Fortune. A series of letters, letters on the board. And yeah. He says, "Okay, guess the amount of letters." So he guesses them all, and on the board is N space G G E R, and the question is, people will annoy you. Naga. Exactly, but the point of the episode and what Reservoir, uh, sorry, not what, Reservoir South talks, Park. what South Park does very well is explains throughout the interview, throughout the program rather, you've got this white guy saying, I understand your pain, I understand it, and then he finally turns around to the end of the episode and says, I do not know what it's like, I do not know what it's like to be contextualised in one word, and he says, you finally got on it. Welcome to the club. Yeah. And that's exactly the point. You and I have never been in that situation, thankfully. And I say thankfully because I would hate to ever be in that sort of a situation. I mean, God. I went, don't get me wrong, I went to a school where 
as as a white child, I was pr- probably in in the minority mm. in both the school and the class. But I was I was young enough to not realise that I was in the minority to not realise that necessarily these kids were different backgrounds, races, ethnicities to me. It didn't really bother me at the time. It was normal. It I think was... it's a, I think it's a generational thing. I really think it is because I mean I've said this on a on on a different show with Derek. Um, I I, found, I can't remember exactly what we were talking about, but the, the idea of race care. I think it might it was Victoria Victorian Abdul. That's why it came up. And I'm saying to him, the most culturally diverse, if you could even call that, in my secondary school, was when we got someone who came with a Scouse accent. Yeah. Good God, what the hell kind of accent is that? And here what I, country and, are you and from? And here I am in Liverpool, and I still haven't developed the accent despite being here ten years. I mean, some some people never developed the accent. My mum never really did. Um, she lived here from the 60s up until the time she died. She still had an Irish accent. Uh, whereas my auntie um, had a bit of a mixture um, of kind of Irish scouts. Um, I think it depends very much on on you. Yeah, I mean, my dad was born and bred in Liverpool, and speaking to him, you'd never know he's from Liverpool. There's certain words and certain phrases he says when his Liverpool accent comes out, but you wouldn't know otherwise. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I get it myself. Um, I don't consider myself particularly scouts. You're not very broad. I'm not broad, but there are times when my accent starts really kind of manifesting itself. I mean it was funny the other week. I was um I was in I was in a taxi with Carl and he suddenly just he suddenly started producing this really scouse accent. And I've, got, and I've got no idea why, but I honestly I was having to stop myself from laughing. <laughs> there, I mean there are times when I become and I hate doing it. I don't realise I'm doing it until I realise I'm doing it and then the more I realise I'm doing it, the more it happens. Mm. For some reason, I can't seem to stop myself. But I, su- I will suddenly start becoming incredibly scouse. Uh, I'm like that going, God, I sound awful. And I hate, because I, I, I like the Liverpool accent. I hate the scouse accent. Yeah. And there is a difference, folks. There is a difference. And <laughs> um, People have argued this with me in the past. There is a difference between Liverpoolian and scouse. But I just can't stop myself. When I'm in that mode, I, for some reason, I just can't shut myself up. No, I'm I'm similar in the sense of when I watch um, when I watch films with American accents or when I listen to music. That's I mean, especially Marilyn Manson. For some reason, if I listen to an interview with Marilyn Manson, I will suddenly start to develop this really droll American accent. I can't do it now, but if you played me an interview by Marilyn Manson, I would start start talking like Marilyn Manson for some reason. And I can't explain why, but I do. I think we need to get back to this film. Yeah, we do, don't we? (laughs) Um, Okay, so back to Clerks 2. So the next point, um, really, was, was a sequel even needed? Was this film needed? In a state where Hollywood is more likely to make sequels and prequels than ever before, because from a certain point of view it makes sense. At least it's not a remake. Because it's bankable. Yeah. That that makes sense. You know, I really, 
I'm not sure whether there was. I, I don't feel there was any need to go back to Clerks, to be honest with you. When Jay and Silent Bob ended it, and were promised that they would be back in their own film and their own universe, you know, that was fine. But Clerks was never about Bob and Jay. It was about, Dan, it was about Dante and Randall. And, you know, Jay and Bob just happened to be there. It was still, you know... The, um, sorry, I'm losing my notes here. Uh, so yeah, okay, well, we'll, we'll cut we'll cut that bit. Except for one, because I'm lazy. So was it needed? As much as I enjoyed Clerks Two, I'm not sure it was. I think the fans would have been perfectly happy if it was just one film. If I had never known Clerks Two existed, I could have happily gone on with my life. Yeah, I know Clerks Two exists. I own I own the two disc DVD. <laughs> so. so I'm still happy. With the fact that I know, oh, it I is. am. I'm, I'm happy as well because um, it's a good film in its own right. It is. I mean, again, it's one of those films where even though it's a sequel, you don't have to have seen the first one to know everything that's going on because it's yes. a very, very basic relatable story. As I mentioned before, mm-hmm. it's a love story with a lot of dick and fart jokes. Yep. Um, <laughs> I mean, it, you know, I I'm, I am pleased they made a second one because at least it gives us a chance to see where they were and what they were doing. It summed it up gives a us lot a chance of how people well felt in Jeff a as well. Anderson doing what he does best, and Jeff Anderson does what he does best incredibly well. Would you say that? I mean, if you watch the Back to the Well, you know, I'm sure we said this. I'm sure we said this before. Jeff Anderson really didn't want to be a part of it. He had to yeah. be. He had to be. Um, right. He had to really have his arm twisted, and yet, when it came to actually making it, making the sequel, he seemed to be all in on it. And for that, fair play to Jeff. You know, I mean, there's, there are really two key scenes in this for me that stand out for Jeff Anderson. First one, of course, is the trilogy scene. Yes, of course. Yeah, with some old uh, Lord of the Rings versus. Star Wars the Holy Wars. Trinity. Yes. Uh, Star Wars. Which I'm still not sure I agree with because I still don't think Star Wars is all that. I've got to say. Star Wars, let's, let's, I'll be honest, I'm a Star Wars fan and Star Wars isn't all that. I can see why it was so popular and I grew up in a household where my brother was obsessed by Star Wars, everything Star Wars. So I can appreciate it. Uh, the rework trilogy Fuck you, Lucas. <laughs> Fuck you. That's all I'm saying on that. Give us back the original trilogy. Please, Disney, you have the power. Um, Have you seen the Alien prequels? Yes, of course I have. And what do you think of them? Prometheus. <laughs> it gave birth to the phrase, attended the Prometheus school of running. <laughs> You might have to explain that one to me in the pub later. Yeah. Um, and what was, what was it? Alien, Alien Covenant. Uh, Co- Covenant. I mean, Derek said that Alien Covenant was his worst film of last year. And considering the amount of shite that came out of last year, I was amazed that he said it was his worst I... But when he explained why, it was like, you know what? I'm kind of with you on that, actually. Just briefly... What was the reason why? Basically, well, I mean, I can't really say it all because I can't remember exactly what he said. But it summarise. Effect- effectively, it was there was nothing wrong with the original Alien films that were good enough on their own. Why do you have feel the need to make all this backstory that wasn't required? That I, was basically the summary. I agree bit. with that. What ruined it for me 
was the ending. The ending. <laughs> what what makes me laugh? And I don't want to get into an alien rant here, and because it, it's the same with fucking um, uh, what was the one with Leonardo DiCaprio, and it was a sci-fi one a few years ago. I've got it on DVD. Oh, Inception. Inception. That's it. Yeah. What really made me laugh about Inception, and indeed, um, uh, Alien Covenant, was when someone said, "Oh, didn't you find the ending to be a twist?" And I said. There was a twist? How, how was, no, I'm sorry. How was that a twist at the end of Inception? That just made sense to me. It did to me. It did to pretty much anyone with... Who was paying attention? Well, more than a double-digit IQ, I'd say. <laughs> um, not blowing on my own horn. You know, I've got an IQ of 129. I've got no idea what um, Which is considered superior. I can't do basic math. Neither can I, but... Well, I can, sort of. Anyway, back to the point. So, yes. Um, Alien Covenant. The, it was telegraphed from the moment the characters were introduced to each other that this was going to be a straight-up vice versa swap. Mm-hmm. I could see that coming from halfway in the movie. How the hell anyone else was surprised by that? Yeah. I have no idea. I don't get it. Um, you know, I I was literally sitting there, and I said to the, there was a guy sat two rows, sat sat two seats away from me, and I said, he's gonna die, David's gonna take his place. Spoilers. Yeah, spoilers. (laughs) And of course, you've just ruined Haley's covenant for someone. I haven't said whose place he's taken. Fair play. Though if you've seen um, Prometheus, yeah. you all know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it just it gave it away halfway through the movie Agreed. for me. It didn't help at all. So, was it required? Was, was it, plus it two required? Necessarily required. It was a breath of fresh air. It wasn't the usual, you know, by the by the point. I would say, simple. sorry to interrupt, but I would say that it wasn't. But in a way. It was, at the same time. I think the main reason this film is so important for is is basically very important for one person, one person alone, and that was Kevin Smith himself. You know, after, no, I'd say it was more important for Jason Mewes. Well, no, not per- personally speaking. Well, it was more important for Jason Mewes. No, well, okay, it, it was, but in terms of a creative side of films, after Jay and Silent Bob, um. Smith would go on to make um, Jersey Girl in 2004, which was one of Smith's least successful films he'd ever, make, he'd ever made. Apart from the cop out. Uh, well, <coughs> but he didn't really make that. Roosevelt. Yeah, but he didn't really make that. Um, you know, it's not down at his film, technically speaking. I don't class it as a Kevin Smith film. I not class at it all. as a film he was involved with. Not at all. Sadly. And Jersey Girl only made one million more than the original budget itself. Which sounds like a lot. Which, well, he made a profit, but not really at the same time. Um, I enjoyed it, but you know that that's for another time. And there were there were other issues for the film, but really, what happened? You know, if you really want to know what happened, watch Back to the Well on, yeah, yeah, on YouTube. Yeah. You know, Smith needed Clerks too to prove to himself and others that he could still do it. And to be honest with you, I think he did. And I think were it not for Clerks too, then. He couldn't have gone to make a lot of the stuff that he's done now. He he definitely couldn't. And 
almost pains me to say this. I think in a, in a lot of respect, we have to pay some homage um, to Bob and to a much, much, much lesser extent to Harvey Weinstein for, for their roles in it. Um, yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm not... I I think Harvey Weinstein is a fucking scum-sucking... Well, shitbag. I... Um, let, let's let's but, not go down this road, because I still... If you if you if you want to know Kevin Smith's views on it, by the way, listen to the Hollywood Babylon podcast that he does with Ralph Garman. Uh, it's the episode where he pre- where he promised to donate all the future proceeds from en- any movie that was associated with Miramax to uh, to women's charities because he was he felt betrayed um, and disgusted, yeah. so disgusted by by what he's done he breaks down crying with emotion because yeah. he can't believe I mean Tarantino's just got himself into a bit of trouble as well hasn't he over historical comments like, and in something to Vuma Furman and a car that she was was unsafe to drive or something yeah um, but I mean I, I don't I mean I, no. I don't think we can hold filmmakers responsible for the actions of others whether or not they you know they knew or not. Yeah. And um, as much as as much as Tarantino can say, I knew this was going on. At the end of the day, ultimately he is he is a cog in the machine. Mm-hmm. What 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 honestly are we expecting a film that are we expecting a film director to stand up to the man who finances his career to say, actually, you need to stop what you're doing. No, because he's going to commit career suicide. By doing that, um, that's not to, that's not to say you should stand by silently and just go and applaud what he's doing. Yeah. But at the end of the day, we can't hold him responsible for someone else's actions. No. No. Um. Now the the comments he said were about um, Roman Polanski. Yes. Um, and uh, the historical. Ri- the historical rape case and reading it in context um, against what he's and this was an interview he had 13 years ago so 2005 before the Harvey Weinstein bill ever came to light what he said was um, it wasn't rape it was statutory rape and which apparently was, makes it okay well there is a difference well there is but it doesn't one, make it okay it doesn't make it okay but what he was saying was, in his view, a rape is is a violent act. Uh, it's it's against someone's will. It's it you know it's invasive. His point was, this was something that both parties knew was going on. Uh, therefore, it shouldn't be held up in the same in the same light <laughs> as as a violent act of. Brutality in the same way rape is, and to that extent, I can kind of see. I'm not going to say I agree with him. I can see where he, where he was coming from on the point. Yeah, I think it's it's just being taken horribly out of context given the current climate, um, where you anything you say is held up to such intense scrutiny. Mm-hmm. You can't say anything that even looks like it's going to back someone if they're in the wrong. 
I think that's where he's tripped up. Well, I mean, we, we could talk about this all night, and honestly, I think we will do um, later on, but let's... Yeah. So the characters... Um, so, without wishing to sound insulting, uh, for some... For some in this, there is an attitude of just getting by, you know, and I think it works. I think it works in these characters. As long as I'm making money and as long as I can afford beer and read for the weekend, what else do I really need to worry about? Uh, I don't want to gain experience because if I do, it will mean I have to work harder. Um, as the poster states, "With no power comes no res- with no power comes no responsibility." It sums up Dante incredibly well. It also sums up Randall. Yeah, it does actually. I mean, more Randall. Ran- yeah. Dante, to to a great extent, is much more of a go getter than Randall will, will ever if be. He, but if in a way, in a way though, he's worse. And I'll come he's back worse, to because he and, skates. He's... And I'll come back to that in just a minute. Um, you know, they don't want people relying on them, um, so they will offer no reasons to why they should. Um. I, I can understand this. I, I really can. I do. I do. Um, I almost empathise with this. As someone who used to literally take their work home with them, you know, and would have actual nightmares about work and moments of, oh fuck, what haven't I done? I like the idea of having a job where I can clock off at the end of my shift and it doesn't matter, you know, until the next time I, I, I go in. You know, my role is done. And I'm not expecting you to walk to... out the door. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, though, that's not the world I live in. Um, you know, to an extent, <sighs> what I do nowadays isn't as bad. You know, the world is not going to... I mean, apart from anything else, you know, I, I've learned that the, the world doesn't revolve around me. But thankfully, I'm in a position where I am now where that isn't really the case. But, yeah. you know, the amount of jobs I had, especially um, in a law firm I worked for four years... Really if carry I the weight of the world. Yeah, if I wasn't checking my emails on a daily basis, I'd come back and I'd, look, I'd have a load of emails coming back to me saying, well, why haven't you replied to me? It's like, I'm not the only person here, you know. But that's, you know. But from Randall and Dante's point of view, I can see why it makes sense, especially for Randall, but also for Dante. It suits Randall down to the ground because that's the life he wants. It suits Dante because it gives him something to moan about. And this is why Dante is far worse than Randall. In a contradictory way, Dante is both happy and upset about his situation. He's upset because he doesn't he feels he isn't going anywhere, that he isn't progressing, but and deep down in the recessive, but deep down in the recess of his mind, he fucking loves it. Why hasn't he why hasn't he moved on? Because his manager's a fucker. Why hasn't he left? His place needs him. Why isn't he looking at the big picture? There's no point. Yeah. Dante is a classic example of someone who's both a narcissist and a depressive at the same time. He hates the situation, but A, he doesn't know how to get out of it, and B, if he did, he might have to change who he is and take chances that he doesn't want to take them because it scares the crap out of him. And that's why Dante is worse than Randall. Because at least Randall knows, he's knows his station water. in life. Whereas Dante... It's very much like, uh, I, don't know, I don't know what to do, man. Ah, shut the fuck up or I'm going to shoot you. Dan, Dan is a classic example of someone who's treading water in the shallow end of the pool and yeah. thinks he's in really deep water. Yes. And that is the most basic way I can think to say it. Randall, at least, is aware of his failings. He doesn't care what people think, um, to an extent. He cares what his friends think, of course. Everyone does. Mm. But beyond beyond his circle of friends, 
doesn't care what the people people on the other side of the council think. He's and that's kind of that a good yeah. thing. That's kind of a good thing in a way. That is a, that is a great thing to be able to go through life with that lack of self awareness. Yeah. And that lack of, I don't care what other people think. It doesn't matter to me. It doesn't matter. Um, as long as, you know, as long as I do no harm, I'm fine with my station in life. And Randall is the everyman out of the pair of them. I mean, we, again, we all know people like this in real life. You know, people like Dante who... Skate by on the minimum of life. Skate by on the minimum, but, but make it look as if they're working harder than everyone else at the same time. Mm. I, I People... I very rarely get bothered in work um, to do kind of extra tasks. And somebody asked me once why that was. I said, it's because I always look busy. Whether I am or not is a completely different matter, but I always look like I'm busy. And Oh, the key to being left alone in most office jobs is to always walk around with a piece of paper in your hands and look angry. Yeah. People will not approach you if you look angry when you're staring at a piece of paper for some reason. I always look slightly confused. That works. Uh, permanently perplexed, I described it. <laughs> Um, so people tend to stay away unless you've got a cup, of, unless you've got an empty cup in your hand. Then it looks like you're going on a coffee run. True, true. Um, that's where a sheet of paper comes in handy. <laughs> so we also have Becky, who is the new love interest of Dante, and oh. played by uh, Rosario Dawson, who we'll see in another podcast very soon. Actually, um, there is look. There's not an awful lot to say about her, and not to sound sexist or unkind. She she is important as the love interest, but not in but it's not her film, and really the same could be said for Elias. It, it, it is her film in a way. Well, she, it is, but it's she, not. She teaches Dante how to dance. True, true. In a very memorable scene. It was wonderful. It is beautiful. It's very um, sad, and it's one of the it's one of it's the best one of the standout that, scenes in the film for me. Oh God, yeah, that's it's just this just a sweet simple moment between two people. Mm-hmm. She doesn't realise what's going on with him. He doesn't entirely realise what's going on with her. It's just two people who go on together, work together, enjoying themselves and living for the moment. Yeah. Which uh, so very rarely happens in, in real life. Uh, it's, it's almost a tragedy that he doesn't. And the same could be said for Elias. I mean, he's funny and he's got great comic timing. But he isn't really of any major importance, aside from the point where Randall realises that he's got to have someone to leech on and to infect effectively. And that makes him incredibly scummy indeed. Yes. Um, I mean, we were introduced to Elias quite early on and we quickly realised this guy's either very, very innocent or just incredibly simple. Um, where we find out he... Believes in a, tro- a troll called Pelpants, who is no ordinary troll, folks. He doesn't sit on the bridges. He is a pussy troll. Yes, he is. Um, a very specialist type of troll, in case anyone's wondering. I think he pays slightly more than bridges. But he believes that his girlfriend, the reason he can't have sex with his girlfriend is because of this troll who permanently guards his girlfriend's pussy. It's a very weird thing, but 
at the same time. I think if I think if you I was could a, almost believe it's a real thing though. You could. I no, think, no, sorry, not not in the sense of it actually being a real thing. I mean, in the sense of that there were certain people out there who believe who him. tell these people. Like yeah. you know, it sounds like a fucking Westboro Baptist church. In, fa- in fairness, I think if I ever had a daughter, I would be telling her she had a put she had a pussy troll. <laughs> Uh, ain't no, ain't no goddamn boss. That's a Margo. So to sum up, really the characters, especially Dante and Randall. Um, I'm gonna pause the, I'm just gonna pause the pop the recording because I want to play something to you, and then I will actually insert it, um, into the podcast itself because otherwise it won't make sense. But then we can actually talk about what's said. So I'm gonna pause that, and we'll be back in just a second. I can't believe you. I finally get my shit together. I'm hours from getting out of here and really starting my life. And you somehow figured out a way to obliterate all that and reduce me to a convict. Oh yeah, it's my fault your life's fucked up. I'm the engaged guy who knocked up my boss. You're chaos incarnate, man. Our whole lives you've been getting me into trouble and holding me back. Oh, I'm holding you back, right? I remember like 10 years ago, the night we went to Julie Dwyer's funeral, you were all like, I need to shit or get off the pot. You said shit or get off the pot, not me. You got all fired up about taking charge of your life and what'd you do? You worked at the store till the place burned down. I took courses at Brookdale. And dropped out. Because you stopped going. Because we were just killing time with those classes. One semester we took criminology for Christ's sakes. What the fuck were we training to be, Batman? At least we were doing something instead of wasting our lives in some fucking convenience store. You know what? You can badmouth quick stop all you want, but I miss that place. I loved working there. I look back on that period as the best time of my life. Now I know you're fucking nuts. Why? Because I enjoyed what I did. I got to watch movies, fuck with assholes, and hang out with my best friend all day. Can you think of a better way to make a living? Yeah, maybe it's not what everyone does, but it was pretty fucking good. Man, that's you all over. Scrape by with the bare minimum. Well, I'm tired of that, Randall. I'm not in high school anymore. Shit, I'm not even in my 20s anymore. I don't want to sit around and rag on customers while eating free food. That's what you want to do. That's what you've always wanted to do. Well, if that's all you want out of life, man, then God bless. But I refuse to let your shit taint the rest of mine. I'm gonna smooth things over with Emma, go to Florida, and start my Randall Graves free existence. And try to forget these last 33 years ever happened. So that's the way you see all this time we've spent together? Weird, man. I thought you were the only guy in the world who got me and had my back. The only person who'd take a bullet for me, because I assumed you felt about me the same way I feel about you. Then all of a sudden, one day, you're like, I'm moving, bye. Do you know what that's been like for me? Like, I'm looking at a future that just sucks because you're not going to be in it anymore. And you're not even throwing me over for a life that means something to you. It's just a stupid, hollow existence you think you should embrace because you're getting old or something. Because it's the kind of life everyone else goes after. You're a fucking drone, dude. Fine. Then the next friend whose life you ruin can be a totally free spirit. How's that? You think I want to start making friends at my age? Christ. Who would want me as their friend? I hate everyone and everything seems stupid to me. But you were always the counterbalance to that. The guy who was the yin to my yang. Now what the fuck am I going to do for the rest of my life? I mean, shit. I really wish you would have told me this when I first met you, that one day you were going to bail on our friendship. Because if I had known you were just going to flake on me a few decades later, I wouldn't even have bothered with your ass in the first place. 
Jesus, if you had any sense whatsoever, you'd fucking stop trying to bray it up with the rest of the sheep and live your life the way it makes sense for you, you fucking ass. Oh, yeah? And what's that? You obviously have such a great handle on your life. Tell me what you would do if you were in my position. Or even what you'd do in your own position. Swing that judgmental pendulum back the other way and tell me how you'd solve all your problems, asshole. What the fuck would the great Randall Graves do if he were half the master of his destiny that I'm supposed to be? I'd buy the quick stop and reopen it myself. That's what I'd do. That's what we should do. So, yeah. The reason I included that... No, it's okay. It's, it's just his the head, but it's okay. So, the reason I wanted to include that clip was for two reasons, really. One, I think it's some sort of relationship between Dante and Randall incredibly well. And two, I just love the level of conviction in both of the actors' voices. Yeah. And both of the characters. You can tell that Jay... Sorry, not Jay, that Randall, Randall is breaking down inside because his best friend's moving away, which is something we can all relate to. And Dante's like, look, just please get out of my life because I do not need this anymore. I think um, I think, it's a, I think there's a very real moment in a film that uh, at times is very, very false. Um, I think it's, it's such an honest moment between two friends. That we've all uh, probably had. We've all, I think we've all probably had them, but it's kind of... It's a how dare you moment. How dare you leave me behind and move on with your... And that's that's essentially what this scene is saying. Yeah. In, in a much more brutal and honest way. They are basically having a conversation at 34, what most of us had at 18, when we're all going off to different colleges. Or, or 19, or 20, or yeah. 21. And they're having this a long time after they, after they should have done, because one of them has finally realised it's time to grow up. Mm-hmm. it's time to leave my toys behind but and become an adult but the thing is he's not and that's the thing he's not come to that conclusion at all he's doing it because somebody else has told him he should and that's exactly Randall's point yeah and that's what makes it even better because Randall's saying you've not made this decision at all but you've let someone else make the decision for you and you've said okay sign me up but it's because of that he comes to the right decision for him true um, and it's because he's been I mean he has to be led to, the, to yes he to does the, to the conclusion before he realises um, that maybe this predestined outcome isn't what's right for him and it's, it takes him a while to realise maybe my future doesn't lie in California with what was it I think it was a uh, I can't it a car name. dealership yeah, it was some car washing firm or a something. Car wash, yeah. Yeah. Uh, maybe my future doesn't lie out in California with Jennifer Schwalbach. Yeah, whatever, I mean, whatever her character's name was. Um, I mean, it's who I really hated in this. Yeah, she was. But, she but wasn't then the you meant to hate her. I don't think you were meant to. I don't think you were meant to hate her. I don't think you were meant to like her though, because um, she is um, manipulative, love, control, and apparently has three nipples. Apparently so. In the film, in the film, folks, I'm not saying Je- Jenny Smith has three nipples in real life. Kevin would have to tell us that he's been married to her for twenty years, so he'd be able to tell us. But um, I think she's there so that Rosario's da- Rosario Dawson's character mm-hmm. can get with Dante. Yeah. If she doesn't exist in this movie. Here and Dante don't happen. I mean, the Rosario the, the Dawson character and uh, Becky and the Jennifer Schwartz character, whose name I can't remember, 
are effectively carbon copies of the two female characters that we see in the original works. Yeah, of course they are. You know, um, they're, they're the next iteration of those characters, and they're meant to be. There's nothing in this film that Kevin Smith is entirely being original about. But his originality comes from the way he pulls it off, the way he does it and presents yeah. it to you. You don't realise on first, second, even tenth watching that these characters, um, Jane, Bob and Randall and Dante aside, these characters are all people you've seen before in different variations throughout his entire universe, not just in Quirks, not just in Mora. In every film they've been in there, yeah. played by different actors maybe, but same variations on the same people. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the beauty of it is that you don't really it's only when now talking about it that you realise whoa you know these people have been ever present throughout almost so in conclusion as a film I still really enjoy Clerks 2 I think I don't think it's required to go in with any previous knowledge or the universe or even the original Clerks due to the way that it's written and you you could almost remove Clerks entirely, show someone Clerks two, but don't tell them it's Clerks two at all. You know, and it would be fine. You, you know, as long as you remove the title, yeah, as long as you remove the opening credits, it's it's not a problem, because you don't need to know it. It, it helps, but it's not required viewing to understand it. It's not Jaws two. You know, no, you don't need to have seen Jaws to 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 understand what's going on. It's. I, and not I think, that type of sequel. And I think that's the strength um, of the film. You know, it, it's made in such um, it's made in such a defined way that for newcomers, they wouldn't feel intimidated to watch it. Or left know. out. Yeah, or, or left out indeed. Yeah. I mean, I never even seen Clerks when Clerks Two came out. I was aware of Clerks, but I'd never watched I it. I had. Um, you know. Um, but, you know, as I say, I was aware of it, but, you know, it didn't bother me to be able to watch this, you know, and, and I don't think it really mattered. It it, it didn't really matter, and you, it's why this is the beauty of, of the Kevin Smith universe, you don't need to have pre-existing knowledge of all of his other films. It helps, it's a definite benefit if you have seen, but it, it, it doesn't detract away from anything if you haven't seen the other films. No. If, it's not like... It's like, oh, I've seen Empire Strikes Back. Have you seen any of the other films? No. That will detract away from your enjoyment. I mean, don't know, Empire Strikes Back, terrible film anyway. Fucking Ewoks. Point aside, you don't need to have seen... You need to have seen A New Hope and Return of the Jedi. Empire is so much better than, than Jedi. Ewoks! Don't care, it's a better film. But anyway... Anyway, you don't need to have seen no. Clerks or Morat or Chasing Amy or Dogma or Jane Sound Bob Strike Back in order to get Clerks to. No. And I think that's I think that's why it's unfairly categorised as a sequel. Because mm. it's not really a sequel. It's a standalone no. part of an entire whole that can also be viewed on its own merit. Yeah. But I think it was a good. I think it's a good conclusion to the universe in general. 
For now. S- for now. We'll we'll leave it there and say goodbye to the Viewerskewverse. Um we will be we will be back. We're gonna do a we're gonna start a season two very soon. And, and we'll include a retrospective of the we entire the universe do... as a whole. God yeah. knows how long it's going to be. Cause well, I, I can, don't think it'll be too long. I can, I can pretty much guarantee you, though, we will rant a bit. We probably will. And I still want to do um, Jersey Girl. Yeah, well, I, I, still, I, want still, to... want, I still want to do the, uh, the True North trilogy. Yeah, we can do that at some point. Yeah. So, we'll say goodbye and thank you for listening to the um, to the series. I hope you've enjoyed what we've done so far. So long and farewell, folks. And we hope you'll join us in Season 2. So, thank you very much, Mike. Thank you very much for having me, Chris. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You have been listening to Sunday Afternoon Cinema, which is a recorded podcast. The podcast was hosted by myself and Mike Larkin. The podcast was recorded, produced and edited by myself, Mr. Willingsburg. If you've liked what you've heard, please consider subscribing on iTunes or following on SoundCloud. Thank you for listening.